0: I'm going to turn to scripture now we'll be reading from Psalm 107, 107 verses 23 to 32. Psalm 107, 23 to 32. If you're familiar with this psalm, it's celebrating the steadfast love of the Lord in many different circumstances in life. And verses 23 to 32, I think you'll see, connect to the sermon very well about being rescued on the sea by the Lord. Let's start in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble Let's pray for God's help as we come to his word together now. Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit abundantly to open our eyes to see our Savior and to open our hearts to love and obey him. These are not things that we can do. We need your help and we pray for your help now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 4, it's Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41. Just as you're turning there, remember where we've been in the gospel of Mark. In this past chapter, we've looked at a lot of the parables of Jesus about the kingdom of God. And now we move from teaching on to Jesus as he continues his ministry throughout Galilee. So let's start in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Obey Him. Our pre-K Sunday school class learned about this story last Sunday. Jesus calming the storm. It's an amazing story of Jesus' power and love for His people. As we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, the focus in each passage is on Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? That's the big question all the way through. And the disciples actually ask that very question here in our passage when they see Jesus's miracle. We're going to see more answers to this question: who is Jesus in this passage and also all the way through Mark chapter 5? Jesus will see as the Lord of all creation, he's the Lord over the spiritual world, and he's the Lord even over death. Feels like we've turned a, a corner maybe in the book of Mark, and Jesus. It's kind of turning on the lights, the spotlight on himself to show us even more about who he is. But this morning, we'll just focus on one of these things, on Jesus revealing himself to be the Lord of creation. So as we look at our passage this morning, we'll see that Jesus reveals he is the Lord of creation in order to increase his disciples' faith. So he shows he's the Lord of creation. He has a purpose. The purpose is to increase his disciples' faith. Now, we'll see three things this morning. We'll see that Jesus tests in verses 35 to 38. We'll see that Jesus speaks in verses 39 to 40. And finally, we'll see who is Jesus in verse 41. So first, Jesus tests, verses 35 to 38. Mark chapter 4 we're right at the end of that chapter. It's giving us a, a snapshot, really, of just one day of Jesus' teaching. Now, verse 1 has already set the scene. Jesus, the, uh, the crowds came to Jesus, and there were so many that he sat on a boat in the Sea of Galilee to teach. And he spends the entire day teaching them in parables. Well, now in our passage in verses 35 to 36, the sun is set. Evening has come. Jesus finishes his day of teaching And he and his disciples prepare to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But as we just read, it turns out to be quite a trip. By the end of verse 37, the wind and the waves are causing their little boat to start sinking. And the disciples know that they are all about to die unless something dramatically changes. Keep in mind that some of these disciples, like Peter and Andrew, John and James, these are experienced fishermen. They've been on the sea their whole lives. So when they come to Jesus and they wake him up and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is not a foolish fear. These men know what they're talking about. Their lives are in danger. But this whole trip was Jesus' idea Listen to verse 35 again. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. This was Jesus' idea, and as we begin to see, this trip was part of Jesus' plan. Jesus has purposefully led his disciples into the storm. Nothing Jesus does for his disciples or for us is by accident. This was Jesus' plan. So why is he doing this? What in the world is he doing? We see in our passage that Jesus is doing this to test the faith of his disciples. We see this clearly in verse 40. After the storm is done, after the miracle, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus' words show that the disciples, they failed the test. They saw the wind, they saw the waves, and they had fear, not faith. You know, I I am very tempted to defend the disciples here, to kind of step in. I've never been as close to death as these men were. And it's tempting for me to argue with Jesus. Jesus, aren't you being pretty hard on the disciples? I mean, they saw their lives flash before their eyes. Don't they have a right to be scared And and after all, don't they show some faith in Jesus by waking him up and asking for his help? Uh, Again, I'm tempted to defend the disciples, but that's not right. Because Jesus' point is that his disciples failed because they were driven by their fears instead of using what they knew about Jesus to believe. We can see their fear in their question in verse 38. Notice they don't really ask Jesus for help, at least not directly. This is what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I think about what they're asking. Jesus, don't you love us? Don't you care about us anymore? I mean, here you are sleeping when you should be stepping in to save. What's wrong with you, Jesus? You really in their fear, they are questioning Jesus' love and compassion for them. And that fear is getting in the way of what they know. Jesus has spent months with them by this point, teaching them many things about God, about himself, his own power and his own love for them. And Jesus, day after day, has been taking care of them. But now that their lives are in danger, they don't really believe that Jesus cares for them anymore. The situation that Jesus brings them into is testing what they know and believe about Jesus' character. I think we all know what it means to be afraid, and fear makes us respond very similarly in our own lives. We look at our circumstances, the very ones that God has brought us into, and we question God's goodness and love. Right? We can do this when the, un- the future is very uncertain or the present is very difficult. Maybe it's a scary diagnosis. Or the fear that, you know, I've got this condition. I'm never going to get better. Maybe it's uncertainty at work or something else that makes us anxious and afraid. Whatever it is, we so often respond to those issues by questioning God's goodness and love for us. We know God loves us. Right? We can probably all quote scripture passages about God's love and care for us. And we know that Jesus is a powerful, loving Savior. But so often, fear seems much stronger than our faith. Yeah, you know, The disciples, they're not very different from us. Sometimes we're ashamed to admit that, but it's true. We struggle with fear as well. But it's exactly because Jesus is compassionate and loving that he tests our faith in the first place. Now, if you ever find yourself asking something like, Jesus, don't you care anymore? Remember what James says. James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. The reason that Jesus tested the disciples in the storm and the reason that Jesus tests us is because he loves us and he is working in us to make us perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Jesus tests us to grow our faith. So Jesus has tested and now secondly we see Jesus speaks In verses 39 to 40, we've looked at what the disciples say. When they speak, they question Jesus' character. But when Jesus speaks now, he puts his powerful, loving character on full display. Look at what happens. Verse 39, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus simply speaks a few words, and the wind and the sea instantly obey him. You might be able to get that kind of obedience if you're talking to your dog, and your dog is well-trained, but imagine standing outside in a hurricane and trying to tell the wind and the rain to stop. Nothing is going to happen. But that's what Jesus is doing. again, put yourself in the boat here. The wind is howling. The waves are pouring in over the sides. Jesus speaks. And instantly, there's not a breath of wind. And the sea is as calm as a mirror. Creation instantly obeys Jesus' command. The only one who can control creation like this is God himself. And that's what Jesus is driving his disciples to see. God created the world, how? Simply through speaking. You can see that in Genesis chapter one. And now as God preserves, he powerfully preserves creation. Creation continues to obey. And we read from Psalm 107 earlier. It's a very similar situation. In those verses, God brings the storm and when his people cry for help, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. When Jesus speaks, creation obeys, because he is showing his disciples that he himself is God. So Jesus speaks to control creation, to show that he's God. But notice also that Jesus speaks to save. See, Jesus demonstrates his power to control creation in order to save his disciples. His miracle has a purpose. And in this act of saving his disciples from certain death, we see both his power combined with his compassion. He loves his disciples enough to save them by controlling the very things that are threatening them. Just think about their question again. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus speaks. And the disciples can see just how much he cares for them and just how powerful his care for them truly is. So he speaks to control, he speaks to save, and he speaks to grow his disciples. I've already mentioned what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 40. He says their fear is far stronger than their faith. They had already heard enough and seen enough To trust that Jesus would lovingly, powerfully save them. Long before they saw this miracle. They had enough to go on. But notice now the power of Jesus' words in verse 40. Because it's Jesus saying this. Jesus who has just commanded creation. And powerfully saved his disciples from death. He turns to those disciples. And asks why they lacked faith. In other words... Jesus is speaking with the same power and love that he has just showed now to expose their hearts. And when Jesus speaks, things happen, not just in creation, but in our hearts as well. The questions that Jesus asks his disciples here, these are not just a diagnosis, right? He's not just saying there's a problem. This is actually also the first step in treating Their fear. The disciples' faith will increase through what they have seen Jesus do and also through Jesus' powerful probing of their hearts. So as Jesus confronts his disciples, as he speaks to the storm, that raises the question, who in the world is this? That's what we see third and finally, verse 41. Who is Jesus? Jesus. You can see what the disciples do, how they respond to all that they've seen and heard. They were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice they were filled with great fear. You might be saying, wait a minute, wasn't that their problem just a few minutes ago? That they had fear instead of faith? Yes, but this fear is different. This is godly fear, because the disciples are beginning to understand that Jesus is God. And they they ask the obvious question, who then is this? But they already know the answer. They know that the only one who can do what Jesus has done is God. And the question that they ask shows just how radically their understanding of Jesus has changed in the space of just a few minutes. Look back. What did they call Jesus in verse 38? Teacher. Now the disciples begin to recognize he's far more than a teacher. He's greater than any prophet. He is God, the Lord of all creation. And you can imagine the thoughts going through the disciples' mind as they process all of this. There's a lot that they just learned. I mean, the disciples know Jesus is a human. right? They just had to wake him up on the boat because he was sleeping. Why was he sleeping? Because he's tired. He had, a, he has a real human nature just like us. So the disciples note, okay, he's fully human, but now we realize even more clearly than before, Jesus is also fully God. There is no other conclusion possible from what we've just seen. He is both man and he is God. And not only is Jesus fully God, the almighty Lord of creation, he is with them right there in the boat. No wonder the disciples are full of godly fear because they understand, maybe for the first time, what it means to be in the presence of God. They are creatures sitting in that boat in the presence of their creator. There is an infinite gap between them and Jesus. And more than that, they are sinful creatures standing before their holy creator. That's the kind of godly fear that we see in the Old Testament, like what Isaiah feels. In Isaiah 6, when he stands in the presence of God and he recognizes his own sin. This is what the disciples are experiencing in the boat that night. Listen to their question again. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? If they knew who Jesus was, they would know. That is the wrong question to ask. They had no idea of who they were asking that question to or what they were even really asking. Did Jesus care about the, that they were perishing? Yes. And in a much deeper way than they understood because the wind and the waves were not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem was sin. And Jesus cared That they were perishing in their sins. And he cared so much for them that he humbled himself. He came to die for their sins. He came to sit in the boat and be sinned against in their fear and unbelief. And he came to pay for that fear. He came to pay for that unbelief. And he came to pay for all of their sins against God. And the good news is that he did that for the disciples. And he does that for us. That's why he's come, to pay for the sins of all of his people. Yes, Jesus cares that we are perishing. And he cares so much that he does something about it. He sacrifices his life. But Jesus does more than just save us. Right? One of the benefits of salvation is that Jesus commits himself to protect us as our powerful king. In the Gospel of John, Jesus promises that he protects his people. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or listen again to Paul's confidence in the book of Romans. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have those amazing promises of Jesus' protection and our unbreakable connection to him. The disciples in the boat were learning the very same truths as Jesus revealed that he is God, the Lord of creation. Think about it. Who is more powerful than the person who can create and preserve? No one. No one and nothing is more powerful than God. And so as Jesus is in that boat, he is showing them that he is going to use that same kind of power to save and protect them. He is the Lord of creation and he is the Lord of salvation. And because Jesus is the Lord of both, the disciples can have every confidence in their eternal protection no matter what happens. That's the takeaway I want for us to have as well. We can trust our powerful, loving King Jesus. See his power here. See his love and compassion for his people. If you lack assurance about your salvation, if you have doubts about Jesus' care for you, look at a passage like this. Can you really doubt the one who has created the world, the one who can control something that you feel so helpless in the face of, whether that is creation or whether you feel helpless in the face of your own sin, Jesus is a powerful, loving king. And because he has saved us, he will protect us. Think about what Jesus has just been teaching the crowds. He's been teaching them about the kingdom of God. Here is the practical application of the kingdom of God. If you are in the kingdom by faith, then you are being ruled by your faithful, powerful, loving king. There is nothing to fear when we serve Jesus. But we know the hard part is trusting him. The hard part always is trusting Jesus, especially when he brings a storm into our life. And we do what the disciples do. We look at the circumstances more than we look at Jesus. That's why, for instance, one of the the greatest counsels I've ever received is when you're in a situation like that, a hard time, difficult time, don't stop worshiping. Don't stop praying. Don't stop personally communing with Jesus. It is so important in a difficult time in your life because our faith needs to be firmly anchored in Christ. We all, I think, still face another temptation as well, to try to make it through during a hard time all by ourselves. I think some of us are maybe more wired that way, but I I promise you that's not going to work. I promise you that's not going to work. And there will be times that you will not be able to overcome something just just by pushing through. We're all going to die, right? That's one time that every single one of us is going to face a situation that we cannot, cannot do by ourselves. We need God's help. We need Jesus, our King. And Jesus, our King, has been protecting us all the way through our Christian life. Every moment of our life, because he has saved us, he is protecting us. And that means he's going to protect us in every situation, even as we face death. So I want us to be encouraged from this passage. We have a powerful, loving Savior, and when he promises to save, and he does, and when he promises to save to the uttermost, he means what he says, and he's going to do it. No one and nothing will be able to stop King Jesus from saving and protecting and bringing us to heaven. He's the Lord of all creation, and he is using that very same power for us at every single moment of our Christian lives. That is the King we need. And that is the King we have, the Lord of all creation. As we finish, just praise Jesus for how amazing he is as our Savior, for the power and care that he has for us. And continue to trust him. If he saved you, he will protect you. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, so often we find ourselves just like the disciples. We know so much about you, even more than they did. And Lord, yet we see our circumstances and we fear. We don't trust that you are the God who has saved us and you are the God who is going to protect us. We don't really want to put ourselves under your kingship. Humble us because we need your work. Humble us because we need your power. And Lord, be gracious to us. Be a kind God who forgives our fears and remind us day after day that you are the Lord who has created and saved us. And that means that you are the Lord who is going to protect, preserve, and bring us to heaven. We all need that. Help us to rely on you and your power and we thank you for your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.